Pace Line is produced by the Cycling Independent, with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Amlin, Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How goes it, buddy? Um, it goes pretty well. Uh, the, the humidity, my mortal enemy humidity has dropped out for this week. Ooh. So I've been uh, outside an awful lot, and that uh, improves my already sunny disposition. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. How are things with you? Uh, You've been a real road warrior lately. Yeah, uh, this continues to be the single weirdest year of my life. Uh, Just at the point that I stopped going to Memphis for two weeks at a time, uh, I started visiting Washington State for various romantic and otherwise reasons. Um, And that's going awfully well. I have just taken... Five days of vacation uh, where for the first time since before I launched Red Kite Prayer in 2009, I I had no responsibilities whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> no self-imposed, oh, I'm going to finish the novel. Uh, n- no, oh, boys, you got to get up and clean your room. Um, n- no responsibilities whatsoever and um golly that was fun i want to say um that i scrupulously avoided slacking texting or emailing you for those days as well uh i i am i am absolutely grateful for that yeah well you know i you know far be it from me to be the one that ruins the vacation you know <laughs> well you know hearing from you um i wouldn't say it's like a vacation but for, hearing from you is always nice so uh compared well, compared to some of the people i could hear from you know sure yeah sure 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 i got you well um it's worth saying to listeners that we are recording on the same day that we are posting so this is the hottest content we have to offer. <laughs> yeah, no, that that is absolutely true. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm I'm back and my legs are recovering from a whole bunch of mountain biking and uh, as well as uh, a ride in which I pushed my mountain bike more than I had in any other mountain bike ride of my entire life. Oh, no. But the views were worth it. I mean, hike a bike uh, can be worth it. it. It it'll become a piece. It'll it'll become it'll a become piece a on piece. the site because it, it's not worth it without the photos. So, right, yeah, right. All right. Well, we won't dig too deep into that story. We'll just look forward to reading it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Camping with mountain bikes—it's a good time. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm now. 
now my interest is peaked. Uh, well, maybe that'll be a separate poll uh, to go along as a companion piece to the post. The pun on that wasn't intended, by the way. I just <laughs> realized after I said it. But you're sharp that way. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Unconsciously clever. Ah, so where are we going this week? Uh, so this week we're, I mean, coincidentally, we're talking about traveling to ride. Uh, and since I've just returned from Wales, mm -hmm. I'll give a quick insight into how one might go about having a killer riding holiday in my favorite country here on planet Earth. Cool, because I've actually considered this myself. Yeah. So here's here's how I think you do it. First, you'll want to fly into Manchester, mm -hmm. <coughs> not London. Mm. Um. If you take the red eye, which is not a bit bad thing to do when you're going to Europe, mm -hmm. uh, then I'd recommend getting a hotel in the city and maybe give yourself that first jet lag day to wander around and enjoy the northern quarter and the city center. Manchester's a it's a cool city. It's funky. It has things. And with a night's sleep behind you, you get a rental car and you drive to North Wales. Um. A lot of the rental cars there are manual transmission. I recommend paying the 10 bucks a day more to get the automatic because you're going to be on the other side of the car and the other side of the road. And my experience tells me that limiting the number of obstacles or challenges you have to surmount on this journey is going to be well worth it. A lot of the roads in North Wales are challenging to drive in the best of circumstances fun for those of you who have rally car uh interests <laughs> um but once you're in north wales i'd recommend staying in a place like betazakoid or dolgethlai because both have good food good coffee and good access to riding hot spots there are two basic approaches to riding in Wales I can recommend. The first is to visit the various mountain biking centers like Coita Brennan or One Planet Adventure, which is in Clendegla. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're going to have to print all these names in the show notes, um, and then you're going to have to offer some sort of uh, phonetic pronunciation type thingy or something, because what you just said doesn't look like the word that I've seen printed previously. I see. Um, yeah, it's real challenging because their vowels don't make the sounds that ours do. And they have some letters like the double L that we don't. And W is a vowel there. And <laughs> just say that again one more time, just for my pure amusement. W is a value, a vowel there. And why and it, and why isn't sometimes why is why is. Um, well, we do that, you know. Yeah, it's sometimes yeah, a consonant, it sometimes a, a vowel. Yeah, but it also makes a schwa sound. So instead <sighs> of saying uh, coid e brennan, you say coid a brennan. Um, they also have the double F, which makes the F sound, whereas the single F makes the V sound. It's going to be a lot for me to have to teach uh, everyone. You don't need that stuff to ride mountain bikes. Trust me. Um, <laughs> but if you choose one of the mountain bike centers, I can tell you from experience, they're magical. They rent bikes uh, and they have cafes as well as showers and other support amenities. Mm. I've mentioned just two of the centers here, uh, but there are others and they're all beautiful. 
Another approach would be to book a tour with someone like Mountain Bike Wales, uh, who are based in Mid Wales. Uh, and just for perspective, to to drive from Manchester to my family's village, for example, in Mid Wales, is about ninety minutes. Um, from Mid Wales to get to the various mountain bike centers is anywhere from an hour and an hour or to an hour and a half. But if you stay in some place like Dolgethlai or um, uh, Betisakoid, then you're within half an hour, twenty fifteen. 15 minutes to half an hour of these places. Okay. Um, and so, you know, uh, anyone with questions also can email me, robotcyclingindependent.com, and I'm happy to give you the info that I have. Um, if you book with Mountain Bike Wales, uh, they'll take you on trips right across the country, like from, from the English border to the coast, or uh, on the Transcambrian Trail, uh, which snakes kind of across the country in an interesting, hilly, and very picturesque way. They also do the Elan Valley, which is an absolute gem. Uh, and they have some trips, I think, to the Brecon Beacons, which is a, a giant forested mountainy area in the southern part of Wales. So it's all there, and it's all good. It's all good. Um, if you were really fired up, you could put together a two-week trip comprised of some touring and some mountain bike centers with a couple of um, uh, rest days uh, spent, you know, walking the seacoast or doing something interesting like that. And that actually is sort of my dream vacation. Um, so that's Wales in brief. Uh, because not everyone has that sort of adventure in their budget, I stay with family, which defrays my costs significantly. Mm. I also want to give Zion National Park a shout out as a bicycling destination. Uh, it's normally thought of as hiking and canyoneering, mm -hmm. but it's a great place to ride a bike, uh, not just in the park, but uh, at various areas around the park. Um when I was there, I hired a guide to take me out to Gooseberry Mesa, mm -hmm. which is a bit of a mecca. Uh, and for a guy from New England, uh, that was like riding on the moon mm -hmm. in an entirely good way. Um, you can rent and find a guide at Zion Cycles, which is right, right in Springdale, uh, which is the little town uh, outside the Zion Gates. If you're not so into mountain biking, then riding in the park itself is pretty magical. Uh, my advice, based on having been there in July, would be to schedule this trip for October <laughs> or, or even November when cooler temps and smaller crowds might make the whole experience a bit better. Mm. And I also want to make a special shout out to Scott and Heidi at Deep Creek Coffee. They also own Zion Cycles, and despite being busier than a pair of one-legged pogo stickers... They took the time to make my visit there really fantastic from the bike rental and the guiding to morning coffee. Uh, like I saw these people multiple times every day. We were only there for a week, but by the end of it, I felt like they were friends. Uh -huh. um, and I think that's uh, less to do with the amount of time and more to do with the warmth. Uh, those are people that want you to eat well, drink good coffee and have a great adventure. So Check out Deep Creek Coffee. It's the best cup of coffee in Springdale. Um, and check out Zion Cycles, because hmm. that's where it is at. Okay, so now a couple questions. Uh, 
so when I was at felt years ago, uh, I had a coworker, Andy, who was from the UK and he would talk about how like he was replacing cables every week, cables and housing every week because the riding he did was so unbelievably wet and goopy and muddy and silt filled mm. and whatnot. How wet is the riding where you're talking about in Wales or how, you know, any part of Wales that we're talking about? It's the UK. Uh, it's gray and rainy a bunch. Mm. It's sunny and warm and dry a bunch. Um, a lot of times when it rains, it only rains part of the day. Mm -hmm. the, what's great about the mountain bike centers is that the trail systems within are very well maintained. There's also just a ton of rock uh, there. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times the trail you're on will be mostly rock and not so much dirt. Mm -hmm. um, it's good technical riding. And where you do find dirt, a lot of times it's what I think of as hero dirt. Mm. Um, it's not too wet uh, and sloppy. Um, but... Uh, it is fair to assume that in a two week trip, if you took a two week trip, you might have some some good rainy days. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you're not going to wind up like brown head to toe, head to toe and, you know, wet and needing a shower instantly. No, that's never been my experience. I'm not saying that can't happen, right. but I have not. I have not had that happen to me. Okay. I've been rained on plenty in Wales, but I've never had that sort of like muddy soaked experience. Well, I would, I mean, my guess would be that mountain bike centers that are helping to maintain a trail system would be building trails where that would not be a quintessential part of the experience. Yeah, that's right. I think, you know, you'll find some of them uh, are built with good drainage. Um, I think they do a really good job of crafting trip, pardon me, crafting trails that um, are really designed and thought out mm -hmm. with, but also feel organic. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I think this is sort yep. of the art of trail design is you can go to places where you're like, oh, this is like an amusement park and not like the woods. And then you can go to places where you're like, this is the woods, but wow, all the trails seem to end up in great places. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. That's been more my experience. Um, Coy de Brennan, for example, uh, which is just north of Dolgechlai, um, is the oldest mountain bike center in the UK. So they've been at it since the 90s, uh, and they know what they are doing. <sighs> yeah. They're not uh, set up to disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, and in, in terms of like uh, the, the mountain bikes they rent, like what are they like and what's that run? Um, the, uh, Coy de Brennan, where I stopped this time, rents a Trek top fuel okay. uh, as their dual suspension bike. I don't remember exactly what it costs to rent, but I want to say it's like 30 to $45 a half day and maybe $70 a full day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're taking a family of four, it can get pricey, but 
actually uh, uh, being a member of a family of four and uh, sampling various entertainment options, that's not actually bad at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I spent close to $40 a person to get everybody on a Ferris wheel uh, some weeks back. So, yeah. Yeah. It's nothing like the cost of going to a pro sporting event, for example. Uh, and it's a full six or eight. It's as much entertainment as you, you're up to <laughs> availing yourself of in an eight hour period. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Cool. You know, I haven't flown internationally since before the pandemic. Uh, my last experience of flying internationally was that, by and large, bikes were still going for free. Um, is that the case or has that ceased to be? I don't know uh, for certain. And I think that it varies airline to airline. Sure. Um, my experience going abroad also... Um, and I know that people are pretty like low fare driven, like they're going to take the flight that gets them there when they want to go for the cheapest. I understand that, but I prefer to go with, uh, like this time we flew Aer Lingus, the, uh, Irish airline Mm -hmm. and had a pretty good experience despite all the travel chaos everywhere. Um, it was a little challenging on the way back, but not too bad, uh, uh, Virgin Atlantic is a good choice. British Airways can be a good choice uh, if you're going to the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think that they understand the facilities that they're flying into and out of a bit better mm-hmm. than the American airlines that go to the same places. Gotcha. Huh. And they don't necessarily follow the same baggage conventions that American airlines do. So. I don't know for certain, and I can't recommend a specific airline. Iceland Air is also a really good choice. Um, but uh, it's worth checking out, and I, I do have a preference for those those Euro airlines when I'm flying to Europe. Yeah. He said as if he's off in Europe all the time. <laughs> well, Anyway, I, co- I collected a bunch of links uh, to Bikes Brennan at Koida Brennan, which is the bike shop that does the rentals mm-hmm. one planet adventure which is in Hlandegla, uh we'll ha- we'll have a, a link there mountain bike whales and zion cycles as well for those who want to keep it domestic <laughs> very cool um it, it you have talked so glowingly of your experience of riding in wales that it has made my short list for doing uh a vacation next year um i'm going to do a you know non kid no uh no responsibility vacation uh to Europe uh well to to uh, something that will require a passport I'm going to do yeah. something with a mountain bike that requires a passport next year the the nice thing about traveling to the UK when you're trying to do something ambitious like ride mountain bikes a lot is obviously they speak English I'm not saying you should confine all your adventures to English speaking countries, but where you're taking on a lot of challenges, uh, I think the, the return, the reward, mm-hmm. uh, it, for the effort is really good going to Wales. Very cool. Well, uh, you were, you were simply serving to ratchet up my interest. Um, <laughs> 
this is both good and dangerous. Well, shoot me a text. I'll meet you there. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea. Okay, we're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. This podcast is brought to you by Shimano. Um, uh, this is a recurring theme with me, but uh, when when Shimano put out their GRX component group, their gravel-specific componentry, my first uh, reaction was, "Really, we need a we need a gravel-specific uh, component group." Um, but you know, as is always the case in my history, I ended up uh, getting some, uh, putting it on my bike. I have a GRX Di2 one by setup on my uh, gravel bike, which is my go-to, my do-everything bike, and I love it. So much. I love it so much. It's not a road group and it's not a mountain group, but it does exactly what I wanted to do out on the trail uh, in a way that I didn't I didn't imagine or could have conceived of before it came out. So there you go. Innovation from a company that doesn't probably have to innovate, uh, but does and keeps after it. And so we're proud to have them as sponsors of the podcast. Okay, we're back with the pace line. This podcast that we do on two wheels. <laughs> Time for your poll. What do you got this week? Well, we've talked about buying mountain bikes a couple times in the last four or five months. Uh, and even so, I'm returning to it again today. Um, fair question. You might wonder why we are bringing it up again. Uh, and I've got several answers. Number one, I continue to get questions about it. Number two, I see a lot of pre-2015 mountain bikes out there, and things have changed a lot since then. Uh, not as much as, say, since 2000, but <laughs> more than one might think. Uh, right. Number three, I spoke with a, well, messaged, with a Taiwan-based friend yesterday who told me that suppliers are starting to see that oversupply as a result of all the pandemic orders arrive. So the supply chain continues to be um, um, slowish, uh, and it will probably take another six months, maybe more, uh, to catch up in terms of what starts arriving at bike shops. Um, but it will. And while many bike shops will be loath to discount due to that oversupply, um, there will certainly be price cuts for consumers because the shops are going to have to move this uh, stuff. And so 2023 is probably going to turn out to be a really nice year to buy a mountain bike. Uh, well, any this bike is, for that matter. This is this is interesting. I was just uh, reading Bicycle Retailer yesterday and Rick, fr good friend Rick Vosper, uh, wrote a whole thing about this exact exact scenario so i'm i am i am into it tell me more uh well that's all i'm going to say about that part for now um i'm i'm going to talk about the the what of the choosing um do it so while i was on vacation i did a ride in which i had a conversation with someone about choosing the right amount of travel for a new mountain bike uh it seems obvious. If you're a cross-country racer, you buy an XC bike. If you're a recreational rider, you buy a trail bike. If you're prone to hucking, then you buy an enduro bike. And if you think of gravity as something to defy, like parents, uh, you buy a downhill bike, right? Um, 
the fact is it's not so obvious for most folks. Um, and I'm returning to this in part because of some recent experiences of my own that I think will help elucidate this some. It's easy to think that if you want to spend more time in the air, you need to buy a bike with more travel. But that isn't really the case. Uh, and speaking of cases, I have one in point. The Ibis Ripmo. It's a long travel bike that basically every mountain bike site on the planet lauded for being one of the best handling long travel bikes on the planet. Um, and they weren't wrong. Uh, it is unusually nimble for a 160 front, 145 rear bike. Uh, now, I had a Ripmo. Uh, it was one of the bikes that was stolen last year. <sighs> I wanted it precisely because I was trying to earn my FAA license. Um, I, I was not so successful in that quest, but the quest continues. What I learned with the Ripmo was that someone needs to be going fast and landing hard to fully articulate that suspension. Even for someone who lands with grace, or at least some grace, um, you know, speed will mean more force. Um, what I found was that I was getting bounced around in rock gardens really badly. Uh, I, the fastest I could go on the rockiest trails I could, uh, I was on, I was, I was just getting rattled. That was the word I kept using. I was getting rattled. I ended up removing a volume spacer from the Fox 36 fork on the bike in order to get, uh, a little more supple response uh, from the bike. Uh, and it helped immeasurably, but it was still a rougher riding bike because that suspension is so progressive. Um, and I, you know, there are a lot of settings one can, uh, work with, but you know, if you're starting with, if your starting point is properly set up sag, um, a big fork like that really requires, uh, some impact, um, hmm. by comparison, when I ride a Ripley with the sag set correctly, something I have been doing lately, uh, I use more of the available travel and the bike feels much more responsive and smooth over the terrain that I ride. Another reason to consider going with a shorter travel bike is that the long travel bike results in a higher bottom bracket. Uh, the rider is simply higher off the ground, and that's necessary in order to give the bike the travel that it needs without having pedals strike the ground. Um, ultimately, that makes the bike feel less agile than a shorter travel bike with a lower bottom bracket. Um, one more point to make, uh, and this is something I've observed previously, that is the flatter terrain someone rides the harder it will be to generate the force necessary to take the suspension through its full travel. Um, I've been to some reasonably flat places plagued with more rock than a quarry. Um, so while I could find a full suspension bike, you know, attractive, it's unlikely that I'd consider anything with more than 120 millimeters of travel. I'd be likely to go with a hundred millimeters. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I, the more I play around, the more I see how 
as fast as I might go, I'm still not generating the kind of force for necessary for some of those bigger travel bikes. Um, and until someone has that vocabulary of experiences between those different bikes, it's kind of hard to see how that works. Um, what would you add, John? Well, this is interesting. I was talking to a bike company owner the other day uh, about the various bikes that uh, his company makes. And um, he said that in his opinion, uh, I'm not giving his name because his opinion may be unpopular, but uh, in his opinion, we are replicating in mountain biking the mistake we made in road biking in the 90s, which is when everyone saw Tour de France race bikes and said, oh, that's what I should be riding on my group ride is a Tour de France race bike. And it doesn't matter how old I am and how inflexible and how all the things like that's. So we ended up with a lot of roadies who were way overbiked mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, at least not very accurately biked. And his argument was that what we're doing in mountain biking right now is we're getting a lot of people overbiked. Mm -hmm. So they've got these these long travel bikes that they can't really justify with their level of skill uh, or the amount of descent that they're actually doing in most of their rides, which is where long travel starts to sort of shine is in, you know, big, big technical descents. Um. And so and I nodded my head while he said all of these things. And so what I would add is that I, I own an Ibis Ripley and I have been loving it. Uh, it is plenty of bike. Uh, I get that thing off the ground. It is plenty soft mm -hmm. uh, when it comes down again. Uh, I may be an unremarkable and unfast mountain biker, but almost everyone I know is also. So I think, um, you know, fine, especially if you're buying your first uh, full suspension bike or the full suspension bike that you own has 26 inch wheels on it. I think when you make the move, when you make the jump, uh, start start at the beginning. Yeah. Start at the beginning. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. There's a whole skill set uh of timing and weighting the bike and all of this stuff that you've got to learn. Uh, and it's only going to be more challenging with a longer travel bike. Now, if you live in Colorado or Utah and you're doing those monster descents, great. Maybe, you know, maybe that longer travel bike is the one for you. But I think for the vast majority of people, something much uh, milder uh, will do the job better. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in a certain sort of bottom line, if if someone is fine, you know, you're getting some air. If you're not getting at least two feet of air, you don't need more than 150 millimeters of travel. Uh, it's, I'm getting more than two feet of air and 130 front, 120 rear is doing me great. There you and that bike still feels agile for a lot of the twisty, rocky technical stuff that I do. I just have a hard time believing people, most people need more than that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. 
Yeah. Unless lift serve lift serve downhill is a big part of your riding, you know, okay, maybe you want a a a, a bigger bigger hit bike as they say, but I don't buy it. I haven't seen evidence to support that yeah. view yet. Yeah. I the rider I was talking with, uh one of the things I said was, you know, how often or one of the things I asked, how often is the O-ring at the Fork Crown? And if that's not a regular occurrence, then the bike is still serving you awfully well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And and I think you're right also to point out that even with a bike like the Ripley, adjusting the sag for your weight and and the terrain and the the airtime you do get uh, can make a huge difference in how well the bike responds. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I, you know, there's this one trail in Annadale that is just very, very rocky and it's not big rocks that you have to dodge, but you know, st- you're deciding which rocks to roll over. Right. And I, uh, prior to my vacation, I went down that thing every bit as hard as I could hit it as hard as I ever hit it on the rip mall. And I swear the Ripley handled better. Absolutely. I mean, I think I think the bike. It's such a dynamic situation, Uh, the suspension uh, contracting. Mm -hmm. uh, There's a progressive curve to that. Um, And so having a bike for which the middle. Of that um, crunch, so to speak, uh, is shorter is a shorter period will give you better control over the bike. Yeah. Um, whereas with a long travel bike, you're going to get a, there's a, there's a lot of travel and while it's moving, you're not, and while it's moving quickly, I should say, add, uh, you're not controlling the bike very well. Yeah. Yeah. Fair point. I mean, this is part of what makes a hardtail so agile is that the the rear doesn't move. Sometimes, of course, you know, there's benefit in the rear moving. But if you want to control the bike, a hardtail is always going to be better than a full suspension bike. Mm -hmm. There's terrain, obviously, that that um, cries out for more suspension. But if what you like is control, because there are two modes, right? There's the mode where you control the bike, and then there's the mode where the suspension controls the bike. Yep. Um, so I think I think get, get putting yourself in the situation where you actually have the amount of suspension you need gives you so much more control than, you know, banking suspension for those moments when you might travel the whole arc yeah of the suspension yeah very much cool all righty well let's move on to the pace line picks what do you have this week i'm picking the giro privateer mountain bike shoe Mm -hmm. um the current version is a lace-up model uh i've been riding mine which are velcro and boa uh for about seven seasons and they do equal duty on my gravel bike and hardtail at 140 bucks, they're not quite entry level and not quite the premium offering, which suits my riding pretty well. Um, 
I'm intrigued by the lace-ups because while I worry about laces getting caught in chain rings, I think the fit and lockdown on lace-up shoes is often better than Velcro closure shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that mine walk really well. I don't mind running errands in them. They have good tread for those steep technical climbs. Uh, pardon me. That was a sneeze that I... Right. Anyway, uh, they have they have good tread uh, for steep technical climbs that you didn't quite clear, and they're they're comfortable. <laughs> Moreover, they've been as durable as hell. I've kicked the ever loving tar out of mine. Uh, well, you and did I think say they look seven good. seasons. Seven seasons. That's right. Um, I think they look good. I have the black with the gum sole, which for me is a classic. Uh, <laughs> As I spend more and more time riding flat pedals, I'm thinking about the pedal foot interface in ways I didn't before. I'm noticing things about how I ride when I'm clipped in and when I'm not. And it's helped me kind of appreciate the privateers more because they really are supple and maneuverable in a way that clipless shoes often aren't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, they come in four colors, all of which I like. And the sizing is Euro, which I think, frankly, is better than the U.S. sizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more granular. Uh, Giro often makes a high volume version of their shoes. I don't think there's an HV privateer right now, but if you've got big feet, then keep an eye out for those because they usually do a good job of of making them available. Yeah, yeah. My pick this week is the Apple AirTag. Our listeners probably recall, like just earlier in the show, that uh, I mentioned I had some bikes uh, stolen. Uh, yeah, two bikes stolen just before Thanksgiving last year, uh, which brings the total number of bikes I've had stolen to not going there. I finally received a settlement from my insurance company last month. And with some of that, I went to my local Apple store to buy two four packs of air tags. I plan to put one in each of my bikes uh, at just 11 grams. Uh, there's no need to worry about what weight this adds to a bike. The battery is said to last about one year, so I've put a reminder in my calendar to replace all the batteries this time next year. Uh, I should probably actually set that reminder at 11 months because it'll probably take me two or three weeks to get around to actually doing it. Oh, uh, know yourself. I like it. Yeah. Uh, the question for most riders is where to put these things. Uh, because they measure 31.9 millimeters by 8 millimeters, they won't fit just anywhere. Uh, you know, at 31.9, you could just shove them down some mountain bike uh, seat tubes, but that wouldn't leave any room for a dropper post. Um, honestly, I'm still working out where to put them on my steel bikes, uh, but it will likely be under the saddle or maybe in a saddle bag. Uh, with mountain bikes and carbon fiber road bikes uh, or any carbon fiber bike, um, the answer can be more obvious, if not as easy. Uh, what I've done with two of my bikes so far is to wrap the air tag in packing material to silence it from bouncing around inside the tube and then tape some string to that uh, and remove the fork and push the air tag down into the down tube. <laughs> Uh, the string, I hope, will help me retrieve them for battery replacement next year. Um, who knows what I'll be seeing in a paceline pick this time next year? Uh, 
Granted, AirTag is not as effective as a GPS tracker, but I spent some time investigating GPS trackers as an alternative because I wasn't completely sold on the AirTag quite yet. Um, well, size, battery life, and subscriptions cured me of that consideration. The AirTag certainly isn't perfect, but given the ubiquity of iPhones, I think that if one of my bikes is stolen, I'll be able to find where to send the police. Uh, a single AirTag goes for $29, or you can get for four, you can get four for $99. Um, and you don't need to buy any fancy subscription services. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, Weiss, once bitten, eight times shy. Something like, yeah, yeah. Or eight yeah. times bitten, once shy. Uh, yeah. 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 One of those. Yes. Yes. Uh, I have both a, a certain desire of the thrill of, of going to look for a bike with one of these in it. But I recall the horror uh, that I experienced in noticing that a bike wasn't where it was supposed to be. So I actually, you know, I, I know better than to want to, to get into recovery mode. Yeah. Yeah. That, there's a reason Batman is just a comic book. Uh, fair point fair point yeah 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 uh some things need to be left to fantasy yes <laughs> you got anything fun cooking this weekend um i am you know we're in the countdown the summer countdown now uh kids back to school in three weeks uh weather will be should become uh less stable uh, going forward, although our current mode is uh, very hot and dry, which isn't the stability that I want. Uh, but I am just trying to get as much pedal time as I can. So I'm sort of pinging all my friends to say, where do you want to ride? What bike? What time? Mm -hmm. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, uh, on days, any of the days coming up where uh, no one's available, I'm doing solo uh, shots. So solo shots sounds wrong. I'm not doing any shots. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing some solo rides. What do you got going on? Uh, the boys don't know it yet, but I'm planning to take them down to Marin County to Stafford Lake Bike Park. Uh, and we are going oh. to have fun on mountain bikes. Um, I am going to uh, try to get to a point where maybe the FAA would take notice of my actions. Uh, sure. I actually think that's kind of unlikely. Uh, but yeah, it's the same for me. My boys are actually already back in school. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm working on a resort of my daily schedule so that I can, uh, be more consistent in my riding. Um, in trying to get your bike off the ground in a significant way, are you riding clipless or are you, have you switched to flats? I'm still on clipless. Yeah, I'm going to I'll just really recommend and we can take this up on another podcast. I just recommend freeing those feet. People say that uh, I and I have a decent pair of flats that, you know, came into my possession. Um, they came on the evil when I bought it used yeah. back this past spring. So I've got some. I can tell you what I've found, and again, we can take this up on another podcast. What I have found is that the techniques 
are not that hard. It's not as high a learning curve. There's still a learning curve and I'm still moving up it, but it is not as frustrating by half as I expected it to be. Hmm. Uh, and the ability to throw the bike away mm-hmm. in precarious uh, circumstances uh, allows me to take on bigger things than I would if I were clipped, for sure. Yeah, that's the that mental piece is is the one that I have yet to um, uh, wrestle with. Uh, I, I, I simply don't have that experience of putting myself into a position yet where I want to bail. Um, and so I have yet to recognize the utility, uh, in that. Um, and Mm. that may be part of what's holding me back. I'm no one to instruct you on this. I can only (laughs) speak about my own experience. Yeah. And, And my own experience is that for big, bigger drops or jumps, I feel already much happier on flats than I did clipped in because clipped in is committed to whatever happens to the bike. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if I, I have plenty of experience of being clipped in and going astray and you're riding that thing out <laughs> wherever it goes. Uh, Cause once you're off the ground, clipping out doesn't help you much. Um, in fact, it probably exacerbates whatever problem you're about to have. Um, so, I'll, I'll leave it there. I think we should talk about this more. Yeah, that may become a poll. Alrighty. Yep. Uh, before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for the podcast revolting, uh, which is a cycling podcast that isn't really about cycling with John and Steve Knievel of all hail the black market. And uh, as I shared with you last week, I was listening to episode 39 and uh, uh, my girlfriend, Jennifer and I, we're laughing to the point that we were in tears. Um, it was, uh, it was every bit as good as listening, just, you know, a, a comedy routine. <laughs> yeah, we, we, um, we don't leave much, uh, out of bounds. You know what I mean? We're, we go at, we go wherever the laughs take us. So there it is. You, you might've put up some fence posts, but you didn't put any pickets on anything. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it yeah, it was, mm-hmm. yeah, that was, yeah. Big laughs. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. And Jennifer as well. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, we're hoping that you all like them. And if you do, please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and if we, or that, uh, isn't, aren't, listed in places you like to get podcasts um let us know where you'd like us to appear there are more outlets now than there are channels on cable send us some questions if you've got an idea uh or a request or a need please drop by the cycling independent and put a suggestion in the comments we hope you've enjoyed the show and if you have please leave us a good review on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts it makes us easier for other listeners to find until next week I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.